Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Faultline Social Podcast. Something a little bit different today. It's going to be a conversation between Rob, James, and myself. Uh, we talk about lockdown, the Birmingham music scene, and we ask just why is Henry Rollins so angry? So uh, I hope you guys enjoy. You can check out our reviews and opinion pieces over at Faultline Social and look out for more podcast interviews in the future. Cheers. Say whatever you want, man. Who gives a fuck? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So this is something a little bit different today. Um, it's just going to be us having a chat, uh, talking about just things in general. So I'm Theo. Uh, I'm one of the writers at Faultline Social, and I'm joined by Rob, who uh, started the whole thing pretty much. He runs the website, runs the Instagram, and James as well, who's another one of our contributors. So um, yeah, how are you guys? How are you doing, Rob? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, doing pretty well. Thanks, man. Um, another day living this life, but it's um, yeah, no, no troubles with my mind at my life at the minute, mate. Doing fine. Thanks for asking. How about you? Good. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I'm good, mate. How are you? How are you, James? I, I'm okay. Um, yeah. Um, lockdown is as ever interesting. So we're adding homeschooling into the mix as well now, which is great fun. Um, yeah, taking it day by day, and it's uh, yeah, it's not too horrendous. That's fine. So, yeah, yeah, I think I don't think you can think too far ahead at the minute. It is day by day, literally. There's no point thinking so far ahead because uh, your plans might might not get achieved. So, <laughs> yeah, like Glastonbury got canned today, didn't it? It was like the official we're cancelling it. Yeah, I think oh, that, right. that, that's a big move, you know, because that I think that's quite a symbolism of like hope for people, especially now. And then they, they've knocked that on the head. I think it really, yeah, it really is not a salt. Yeah. It's like a, like a big whack in the kneecap, I think, for a lot of people. I think the big thing is as well, for festivals as a whole, mm. is like Glastonbury is the biggest one, effectively, yeah, whether it yeah. monetarily is or numbers-wise or whatever, like in terms of historic significance, I suppose, it is. Mm. Um, and yeah, once that goes, everybody else is going to kind of be looking over their shoulder going, well, okay, do we do it as well? So yeah. does that mean we've now got another summer with no festivals? Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, like that that coming to a lock, a, a, a collapse, or a putting it on pause for one more year is a uh, could set the tone. I think for festivals, maybe. Or I don't know. Yeah, because I don't know if if you can't have quarter of a million people, why would you have five thousand? It's the same principle. It's the same idea of people being in this one space, which is a shame. Yeah. But you see, I th- I well, obviously, I hadn't heard about the Glasgow news, but that's I thought things were kind of you know, maybe we're going to return to some kind of normalcy in terms of festivals being rescheduled and redone. I thought, you know, people were, there was a kind of a bug yeah. that happening, but obviously, you know, that's kind of, as you say, like quite a swift kick in the butt. Yeah, I was surprised that they cancelled it, to be honest. It seemed mm. like, you know, taking away this bit of momentum that was going on. Yeah, the timing does seem weird, doesn't it? Like, what's changed? Like, what, what has changed, like, between now and, yeah, you know? I think, I think it's, it's purely the, the deaths, so... At the minute, we're having one of those um, sort of Tom Brady moments where literally every day we're breaking a new record um, yeah, and yeah. it's the, the highest number of deaths is going up and up and up each day. So I, I reckon we'll probably hit 2,000 per day by the end of the week. Um, there seems to be no... I mean, we're supposed to be in a lockdown. Like, it, yeah, it's not it, working. Would <laughs> Whatever it is that's being done is just not working. So <clears throat> I think the people in bigger scenarios are looking at this going... Like, like we say, taking it day by day, but they've looked at it and gone, well, what in the pipeline over the horizon is coming that's going to fix this? And obviously yeah. the vaccine was supposed to. Mm. But in terms of the double dose, I think we've only got like less than 500 people in the country have actually had both doses. Yeah, that's the problem, man. Everyone's like, well, yeah. hang on, that's not going to fix anything unless those 500 people want to go to Glastonbury. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's a pretty small audience. Yeah, they might fill fill the small room at the O2 Institute, but <laughs> I, know, I know the that's second guy to get it was William Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, second guy in Coventry was called William Shakespeare. Oh Why yeah, you, you couldn't make it that to him first. <laughs> yeah, Why? yeah. The first man to get the vaccine in the entirety of the world was called William Shakespeare. Just writes itself. Why would you give it to that random broad whose name I've already forgotten? I think it was Ruth. Is it Ruth or Sarah? Don't be that guy that remembers this thing. <laughs> no, 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 don't don't ruin this for me. Well, the only reason I remember was because of the um, uh, like the memes of like, oh, I wonder what Bill Gates is going to do like with his first day in control. I think of, like, Margaret and she was from Coventry. Margaret, Margaret, that's it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I know that she was in Zara Sultana's constituency, I think, wasn't she? Because yeah, she, she was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who we all love, by the way. So, you know, first pod, first shout out to her. There we go, done. Yeah, awesome. Zara, she's cool. Yeah. Shout out, shout out if you're into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we've touched briefly on the lockdown. Um, like, how is everyone, I know we all said we're like, you know, good in the general sense, but like, how, like, how are we really doing in lockdown? Like, how are we like filling the time? Like, what what are you guys like doing with yourself? Um, guitar is what I'm. So I'm. Oh yeah. Finally, finally, I bought my guitar. I reckon probably ten years ago, and I, I sort of tentatively I had like five lessons, I think maybe six lessons, um, but trying to fit that in with work at the time and all that sort of stuff, it just didn't really go very well. Yeah. Um, it spent more time in the loft than it has anywhere else, but now. It's out, and I've literally, religiously, I'm practicing it every day, um, and it's giving me something to go for. I think so. Nice, yeah, nice, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Good to have that kind of goal and like that little by little, step by step achievement process. It really does help get some uh, like motivation going. I completely agree. I think yeah, if that's one kind of common theme I've noticed throughout this mm. kind of thing, we've well, obviously you know plenty of time for leisure activities on our hands but you know most of the leisure activities we're used to doing are kind of closed or shut up but you know like music is that kind of one thing like especially if you play an instrument or even if you don't even you just listen to music whatever like there's been like a lot of <laughs> time to like get back into that like have you found that as well Rob because you play don't you, you play, play yeah drums? I've been able to play drums as much because I have I have neighbors now so there was essentially oh. two <laughs> old ladies living either side of me who were deaf and then they're both passed away within honestly like two months of each other so it was essentially like i had no neighbors for honestly about a decade and then either side now there's like you know there's a family and there's two kids either side at the age of five and they've got the homeschool thing going on like oh yeah about 50 seconds into doing like a beat like the guilt like just just consumes me and i'm, I'm just picturing this dad pressing the space bar on a powerpoint and he's like he's and i know what's happening i'm like completely disturbing his day so I kind of don't do it uh, out of, you know, courtesy for the people living on left and right of my house. But uh, I, w- I would love to, man. Obviously, I've been listening to music quite a lot every, every day all the time, which has been, uh, yeah, kind of fills the empty minutes, really, or just kind of the empty space of when I'm doing everyday things. It's been nice to take a lot of time to do that. It's not just like I'm listening to it on the bus or on the train. It's been like really constantly on all day, which has been really good. Right, yeah, because we've been kind of like, pumping out the, the stuff at Faultline, pumping out the content in general. And yeah. like, I find it actually, um, I'm listening to like a lot of stuff that I just never would have like considered, like never would have bothered to yeah. kind of like um, check out before. So that's pretty cool. Like I, I, you know, I like that kind of part of it. Not often you make a conscious effort in, in the spare time to check out some stuff that you would usually consider like outside a comfort zone. In terms right. of- but also like forming an opinion about it as well. Like not just, like yeah. listening to it and you know thinking like okay like whatever like actually sitting and thinking like what do I think of this 
like yeah. in general. I think that's that's been like quite useful, like quite cool. Mm. Um, it's nice to turn it off every now and then, but yeah. yeah. It's always nice to have like your um, you know, the the kind of ten albums or ten genres or whatever it is that you always automatically go back to, like a nice comfortable, yeah. like an old jumper kind of a thing. But like, I mean, you, yeah. nobody else can see this, obviously, but. Um, oh no, you turned off screen sharing. I'm just going to show the proof <laughs> that I've actually been working. So I've got like the, the <laughs> album I'm reviewing in the background. Because um, I got a lot of the way through it the um, yesterday. But I think I, this is what, this is a bit like you've hit the nail on the head. I kind of find it difficult. So if it's something that I don't normally listen to, like I can listen to it and I can go, okay, I quite like that. And I quite, I don't really like that that much or whatever. Yeah. But then when I actually have to write something sort of constructive, and I don't know the genre that well. I can I find it a bit draining at times. Like that's the only thing that yeah. I find difficult. Um, I and me having difficulty yeah. with words is so unusual. Like I can automatically just fire something out, and it pretty much fits what I'm thinking. But yeah, I agree. I think it's because I don't know. You're used to your brain being so kind of like well rounded about one area of it, and then this whole other area. You want your brain to work at the same speed and give the same like uh, like educated view. But it's it's not it's it's a it's a completely different vision of it. It's not the same, but it isn't. It's like when you prescription changes on your glasses, I guess, and you have to adjust. I think the other thing that I want is that so I notice when I read sort of say Theo's reviews, yeah. um, it has elements that are more technical, so you can tell that it's been written by somebody who can actually play an instrument. So you can identify with what you're hearing in a much more rounded way than sort of the way that I do it. So I think part of learning the guitar is that I can now sort of hear things and go, oh, I know why that noise is that, or I know why they've used maybe that chord progression rather than this one or something. It's starting to sort of form that picture a bit in my mind. So I'm not saying my reviews are going to change in any meaningful way because I'm probably too lazy to factor that <laughs> in too often. But it's another string to the bow, which I'm kind of looking forward Ooh. to having. So, yeah, but it's good. It's good. Like everybody has the like, like you say, it's like two different identities. You could re be reviewing the same record and write two pages that are full of completely different words. Do you know what I mean? But it still gets to the same path at the end of the day. Yeah, that is, that's actually a good point because, like, music is already obviously so subjective, and like, obviously, it's one thing that we kind of have to struggle with. We're like, you know, what like do you, if you asked to put a number on this, like, you know, what do I give this, like? How many stars out of five do I like give this like objectively? Like, I like never really know like what <laughs> number you're gonna give, like what what you're actually gonna say at the end. You just kind of know if you like it or not. And yeah, with the as far as the different words things goes, that's just like two people can hear the exact same thing and write completely different words to describe it, which I you know I find that very interesting. And like stylistically, you do see that across like people who write. Everyone has their own little signature style, which I think is cool. Like James uses a lot of humor and stuff in his, which I was enjoy reading his things because, yeah, same, like, same. yeah, you can, I can like, I can just help it. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, I can just hear it in your voice, like your no, bitter, you don't have to try anger it. coming yeah. through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of read it as if it's like an audio book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think the thing that um, I remember, I did, uh, I did, I reviewed an album by um, an artist who used to headline quite a major band. That's about as far as I'm going to go into revealing who it is. Um, and I remember I picked it up, uh, got the email or whatever, and I listened to like the first two tracks. And honestly, I was just, I, I was just sat thinking, this is truly awful. Like it's actually appalling to the point where I was like, I can't be bothered to do this now. Like there's no way, um, no. So 
put it away, like picked it up again, like the day after or whatever. And I started to listen to it and I don't know whether it was, you know, I'd rested, I'd eaten or it's like different time of day, but I, I was like expecting to hate it again. And I was like, oh, actually, no, I quite like that. And then I listened to the next track and there was elements that I quite like about that. I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't like the perfect album by any stretch, but I was much more receptive to it the second time around. And I actually gave it a much more favourable review. Like, I would have absolutely slated it on that first day, but like the next time round, and I think that's like, this is going to blow a whole, like a massive issue into things now. But like, I remember in my younger days, like you'd spend a fortune, relatively speaking, on buying a CD. So not only would you then have to like be absolutely sure that that was the one that you yeah, wanted to get. But if you, if you get it home and it was terrible, you've got no choice. Like you, you wouldn't put it to one side and ignore it because you've just spent like 16, 18 quid on it or whatever. Um, so you'd put it on and you would listen to it until it kind of grew on you. Like mm. the amount of albums that I love to death that I remember hating at first listen or really yeah. not engaging with, or like I just desperately wanted to like it because I felt like I should. Mm. And it eventually did get to that position. But I think like that's something that I intended not to talk about there, but there you go. That's kind of like a big thing with, so like with Spotify and, you know, whatever, yeah. YouTube, yeah. music is so much more disposable now. Yeah, for sure, man. It's um, um, like anyone, you know, on like a four-inch screen is like pretty much every record ever recorded. And if you don't like something in 10 seconds, you can just tap the screen, what, like two or three times and just change it completely. Like that, and that, I think I think that's also decreased people's like attention span uh, in the modern day when consuming like music and art and everything. Because if people aren't hooked, like like within the first 10, 20 seconds, they have they now have the opportunity to just put something else on like so easily. Whereas and it costs them like ten quid a month. Whereas like you would buy a record for like you know a CD for twenty pounds, and then you've spent like twenty quid on ten songs, and you're like. <laughs> not enjoying it it's it's probably a bit frustrating so you're more willing to give it a go and have more of an open-minded approach to it rather than just being like yeah this isn't what i wanted switch over it's true though like yeah i mean i agree with everything that's been said in terms of the kind of disposability of it if that's a word i don't know um that's kind of you know come about now but on the other hand it has kind of also made me consciously try and listen to albums like all the way through more just because i know that that's the direction of which like we're kind of heading so it's kind oh, of made me like go back and appreciate just putting the record on from start to finish which is like a completely different experience um for me anyway rather than just like skip mm. it's, it's like you're consuming in two different ways right but there's still definitely room for that you know and obviously you guys are quite big into vinyl um and stuff yeah. so that that is like a whole different experience to sitting down and yeah because like pre-cd pre i guess people would have to buy like an lp you know, put it on with the needle and they'd have to listen to every song. There wasn't even really the, the skippability option then, if that's even <laughs> the word. Like, uh, yeah. like you'd have to go back to front then. And it's a, it's a huge ordeal back then, buying like a 12-inch vinyl with the artwork that's massive. It really is an experience within itself, I think. Um, and people had no other option at all. Like, we, I, like me and James buy records because... We like it. We like the collectability. We like having the music in that format. Um, but and like just listening to it in that way. But back then, you know, there was no other option. And you had you like you had to go through the whole record. So I, I think I think yeah, people's attention span and the way we consume music is is like miles different compared to like thirty years ago. Definitely, hundred percent. It's kind of. I mean, me and my mates used to um, sort of. I suppose I've seen it from 
the yeah, kind of the not the birth of the internet. That makes me sound like you know, freaking, uh, <laughs> kind of cheering or something. But like I remember, I, I sort of remember obviously like the sort of the LimeWire and the and the Napster kind of era. Yeah, like audio files existing. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was much more of a thing. I remember buying like my first MP3 player and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like you, you, you would have it. Oh, this was kind of before iTunes became more of a thing or whatever. But yeah, um, you would have sort of rival um, programs that would help you archive and sort of yeah, give yeah. you this music library. And um, I remember it was it was always like back in the day. It was always Winamp was the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you just basically obviously stick all the MPVs in a hard drive or whatever. But we used to have what we called like Winamp syndromes. So you'd, you'd have an album that you downloaded or whatever, or maybe like 10 that you've downloaded on one day. So the moment you start playing the first track, you'd want to skip, like you'd give it 20 seconds maximum. Yeah. yeah. Even though you, you probably knew it, like it was a, you know, like one of your favorite songs you'd skip and you'd want to listen and you'd end up, you'd, you'd probably listen to five songs in total in terms of length, but you've listened to like 50 or a hundred in that short space of time. Yeah. And kind of like you're not giving anything a chance anymore. And I think that level has just gone from like, yeah, just infancy to sort of the next level. Now. Man. It's been like amplified, yeah, to 11 completely. I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, because that's that's the beginning of it, though, having the ability to be like skip, 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 like just uh, almost impatient, like a kid at Christmas kind of thing. Just it's not, never enough, right? It's never yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, like, never, like, yeah, it's almost that mindset of like never satisfied, nothing's good yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. So that's why it's nice to kind of go back to that. Like just listen to something all the way through, just like appreciate it for what it is. But like, yeah, it's yeah. as I say, it's something I have to consciously do for myself. You know, uh, I'm not going to pretend yeah. I'm I'm a purist in any respect of the way. You know, I'm very much from that digital age. But yeah, yeah. But I think it's good to make the conscious effort because then a conscious effort becomes a natural effort. And I think, um, I think from like an artist or band perspective, um, ha- having people approach listening like that, they might take like two years to make an album. <laughs> And someone yeah. might listen to it for a total of seven minutes and be like, don't know like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the risk you take, isn't it? When you put yourself yeah. out there, you know, you open yeah. yourself up. That's it. It's, it's the, yeah, it's like the ultimate opening your soul to, to whatever. Like, I mean, I get that when, when I, you know, when, when I review a single, mm. I, this is probably a bad thing to turn around and say, but I guarantee I don't listen to it through more than say 10 times. You shouldn't have to though at the same time. I like, think that's right, a good I give it, I, it takes me literally half an hour. Yeah. from start to finish literally reading what the title is you know the blurb whatever so that person is literally i don't know how long they're going to have worked on this track for but i mean i think maybe 10 times is generous maybe it is that's a I lot know. i would say because <laughs> I, I tend to write it as i'm listening to it so i don't listen to right. it stop or whatever yeah like but i don't occasionally i'll skip it if like the lyric sounds i hate to say this it's never normally because it's insightful sometimes it is but a lot of the times it's because it's utterly ridiculous and i want to pick them up on what the hell they've just said there <laughs> but sometimes i'll skip back just to rehear a line but most of the time i do at least let it sort of play out as it as intended kind of thing i think you know what this is oh this is going to sound horribly uncharitable now but i kind of think to myself at times i was like i do wonder how some of the stuff uh gets released like as much as we as much as we like we'll 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 acknowledge how kind of disposable music is and all that sort of stuff it's still relatively quite a challenge to get music out there that's not sort of just being self-made or uploaded to soundcloud whatever it is like if you've actually gone and got onto a label and you know you've got you've got into the system 
Like yeah. you've entered the machine, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That should be quite as much, as far as I, I always had this in my mind that that was, you know, that was obviously quite difficult to do. And I don't know why, but my sort of naivety thought there was some sort of discerning like level to this. Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, it can just be down to like one guy. Like I'm not talking like Tom Zutal kind of discovering, you know, Motley Crue and, and Guns N' Roses and signing yeah. them guys. Or I, there's, a whole, I don't, there's a whole lot of scale. There's a whole axis. Yeah, to but then obviously there's the other end of the scale to that who is like yeah. the, the dude that's given us, I don't know, like the Cheeky Girls or something. You know, yeah, there's, there's, there's the first. But some of the bands that I listen to, I'm like, you are far better than the level that you are currently at. And then others, I'm like, how? How is this? <laughs> yeah, like, why? Like, why is anybody interested in you? Like, why? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I literally, I can play like honestly twelve chords on the guitar. So I'm not going to start criticizing people on their ability to play an instrument. But seriously, though, I mean, some of it, I'm kind of like, sure. What's your purpose? What are you saying here? Like, if it's literally, I'm putting this this like words and and music down, and selling it because I want to make money. Then okay, fair enough. But like, you've totally missed what's going to. Yeah, you. I think I think it kind of relates to the people at the top as well because I think especially in the modern age, like uh, like capitalist approach to music is like rewarded, like and people making such bland and boring stuff is rewarded by you know, it being at the top of the chart and then pulling like 10,000 people in each city they play in. And I think, um, I think labels and PR people and management like know that exists. So that's why they kind of will give people who are like, obviously don't have any artistic like integrity about them or any good. They'll say like, yeah, we'll give these guys effort because we've seen it's possible for X, Y, and Z to play the O2 arena. <laughs> like, so these guys might be able to do it even though we know they're not that good. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's like marketability, right? And, you know, if it, it always helps to have, you know, a fan base before you get pulled into that kind of world because there's less work for the yeah. people at the top to do, right? But, yeah. you know, I, I just to be contrarian, just on the flip side, you know, as much as, you know, as I say, I do agree with that and that's the case. But what James said about, like, you know, I hear a lot of bands that are better than at the, uh, you know, uh, air quotes level that they're at. That's actually really encouraging to me because, like, Overall, yeah. the music scene is like still like a fantastic thing, right? Because there are all these like guys who are like, or, and girls, you know, just everyone who's just, you know, making music and it's good music, right? It might, you know, doesn't have the recognition um, yeah. that perhaps some, some artists do, but you know, like, I guess that that's, that's the game, isn't it? That's fine. But it's still so encouraging that like, yeah, you know, popularity doesn't equal, um, like listenability necessarily. No, and I think, I think, uh, being at that level where, you're better than you are, like than like you know the society within the scene tells you you are. It's uh, right. I think it be, but it comes down to maybe like it's better to have maybe like I don't know ten thousand people worldwide that will listen to you forever, than like two hundred thousand people in your home country that will bail after five years, because then then the music is timeless to those people, and you can go and release whatever you want to them, and they will enjoy it. I suppose the article that I did about the Grammys and stuff was kind of my hackneyed attempt to kind of say that, you know, there's, there's this line between kind of marketability and talent kind of thing. And you can, you know, you can be wholly one side of the line without really having anything to do with the other side, oh, yeah, um, which is, that. which is kind of horrible, really. I mean, you know, it's fine that I always like the idea that there's that kind of strata of the music scene that I don't have to worry about. So, you know, the kind of 
like you know, oh, I don't listen to the charts, kind of a an, an ethos. <laughs> I like, I don't want to sound like that guy, but there is like whole swathes of the of the music industry that I I just don't need to get bothered by. I mean, that's the brilliance of kind of you know, I don't really listen to <clears throat> radio stations anymore, like in the car kind of thing, like the, the average commute. Um, yeah. I, I don't listen to like music radio stations because it's just been, I think the last time I genuinely did that was probably when Kerrang was still on FM in Birmingham. That's yeah. the last time that I felt like I could identify with what was being played yeah. on the radio. Like yeah. I would never, like I could, <laughs> it's whenever you take your car for like an MOT or to get the tires done and like you turn the engine on and they've put capital on on your freaking radio or something. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, for the love that, no. <laughs> no, 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 mate, no. Like, pollute your own freaking sense of, you know, like, I, no, no disrespect to anybody who enjoys that, but that's just, you know, that's not my life. Like, <clears throat> the whole DJ Khaled-esque circus that goes on, it's just, you know, you've got a song, which is basically a guy shouting, and he's featuring, like, seven other artists, and I'm like, you do you, lads. This is just totally not what I want to listen to when I've got the chance to to, to listen to something, you know. So um, as research, so, you know, I'll try to be a semi-professional with this. Um, there is a, a Netflix series, which I urge you all to check out in terms of incredulity, if nothing else. But um, it's called Song Exploder. Um, so admittedly, I haven't gone too far into it as yet. Um, but it basically goes to an artist and will it kind of goes through the process that they get to write the song that we presumably know. First episode is Dua Lipa. I believe I'm possibly not pronouncing that right, but still. Um, so in the, right. in the in the ethos of listening to somebody that you've never heard of before, like I could honestly not say that I've ever heard one of her songs knowingly. And it, yeah, so obviously she's, she's a solo artist, but with that, in mind she has like a uh songwriter guy that she writes her songs with Um, then then there is a a songwriter woman who she writes her songs with and then there is a producer who she produces her songs with now you you obviously can't hear this but i'm doing a lot of the little bunny ear things because the one thing that the program really like honed in on was that effectively those three people wrote the song and she was sort of a project manager. Like, I don't think whether it's just sort of capricious filming or they've edited it in such a way, but at no point does she chuck in a lyric or, you know, a hook or, I mean, she, she'll listen to something and go, I don't like that or keep that because I like this. And this it's like, I don't know, it's like a, it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet approach to, to you know, songwriting. They deliver what, what there is and then she just cherry-picks the bits and then gives it them back and they have another play and then they come back to her. So she's almost like what I would imagine like a producer in the old days or like a record executive would go, right, well, I don't yeah, like that song, but I like mm-hmm. this song. So maybe yeah, he plays yeah. something more like this and less like that. Mm-hmm. It was, that was how the feel was. Now, I'm not slating her in any way. Maybe that is how it works. It just felt like a, a massive antithesis to how an artist is supposed to write their material. Yeah, you'd think they'd be quite generous with the way they portrayed, like, you know, they'd so show her, like, for example, like, throwing in a lyric or, like, tapping out a beat or, like, you know, just something to demonstrate, like you said. I could have edited this a bit better. <laughs> right, right. So, well, that's what I'm thinking. Is it supposed to be, like, a stitch-up, or is it, this is supposed to be, like, how it's kind it, of, it, it was, if, it, if that is the approach, it was kind of reminiscent of, like, the, the speeches that Trump was making in the last week. 
So they were written in a very sort of subtle way that made him look like an idiot a lot more than his earlier stuff might have done. Um, yeah. It's almost like they've kind of took the reins off now and they've gone like, you're out the door and I give a talk. He's a fucking idiot though. <laughs> and everybody who's surrounded him is a fucking idiot. Like George Bush, he was an idiot, but all his mates were kind of smart. <laughs> like Trump is just like a circle of brain dead people, basically. So, yeah, like, I, like, I love my family to bits, but if I was in a position of power, I would not start dishing out the important roles to members of my family. Like, no, that's no. just not how you roll the I dice. Not call my mom and be like, I'm like running the country. Do you want to like be like, you know, on my side and calling the shots? No, why? <laughs> I could see Belinda as home secretary. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Like, yeah, so. she would love it, but I'm not, I'm not letting her do that if I'm here. <laughs> This isn't like a greengrocer's, like a family greengrocer's. Like we're running the island. Well, that's like, you know, politics is like a, a hotbed of nepotism, isn't it, though? That's the thing. Like, and, yeah. you know, obviously Trump took that to, you know, the, the highest levels of office, but. Maximum. Yeah. Well, when you've got somebody with no experience in the role whatsoever, he's also then going to put other people with literally no experience in the role whatsoever around him. Like anybody that he fired or disagreed with or quit around him were people that had actually got experience of doing, heaven forbid, what they were actually supposed to be doing. Yeah. So, like of running a bar or a pub on a Friday night and everyone's on their first week and have never done the job before, except the job, except the bar is America. And they're really <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, you've got a bar closed on a Saturday night and every, it's everybody's first shift apart from yours. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, cheers, man. Except the bar's like, serving like 330 million people or something and they're just kind of like <laughs> and they all hate each other don't forget that oh, yeah, yeah. And everybody's got the cold so yeah <laughs> everybody's got the cold yeah yeah all right so uh yeah we've talked a lot about um how we've been filling the time um obviously we've been doing a bit of writing and like listening to music that you know we kind of not have to that we want to listen to to, to kind of put on the site but so I'm just kind of wondering what are you guys going back to in your leisure time? Like, what are you, like, have you rediscovered anything uh, recently or, you know, what are you going back to? Like when you're. Kind of Who wants to talk? House? James, you go, you go, you go. Well, I'm, I, this is, so I, I kind of like in the first lockdown, I ended up um, sort of, well, I spent like two weeks, like it was, you know, the last days of Rome um, where I was just treating it like a day off or a holiday um, and then I kind of realised that if I did that for the whole of the lockdown, then I would turn into like a whale. Um, so this time round, um, I've kind of seen it as an opportunity where I don't have an excuse to kind of be a yeah, useless no. human. So like with work, I've always got that thing in the back of my head of like, right, well, I've worked really hard today, so I deserve to have those those 17 yeah. beers or whatever, and the big fat takeaway or something. So um i'm trying to do like the self-improvement thing but hopefully try not to be like a sanctimonious twat about it um <laughs> like giving up giving up nicotine uh, um yeah. which was i always knew that i could do it but i just never really wanted to because oh, it it's a like, big big achievement for anyone man I, I think i think i think everyone is capable but it's very hard to like do it within yourself man like it's really, very- i don't want to i don't want to like oversimplify it in any way and i know that you know certain things are a lot worse um, in terms of addiction and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think the one of the key defining things is is that you will never give up something unless you want to. And I just didn't. Like, I'm not going to lie, I didn't. Um, not that it was like a crutch that I needed, but it, it's always that thing that gave you like the, the 
you know, the 30 seconds or a minute out, like you could just dip off and you had an excuse. It's like a valid signed off reason. You can just fuck off for five minutes kind of thing. Um, and, And in certain circumstances, like I needed that. And I was like, well, that's, that's, there it is. There's my sort of outlet. But obviously when you sit at home, like that's not really the case, you know, um, and if yeah, I was smoking, yeah. smoking kind of thing, you know, I would be literally having to go downstairs and go out of the building to have a fag. And I'm like, nah, they're just so inconvenient. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then obviously I'm not, I haven't had a drink for like two weeks, which oh, well, for those man. who know me, that's quite a, <laughs> that's quite a turnaround. Um, well done, yeah. Yeah, really and then the guitar man, yeah. thing. Like, I, I genuinely really, I've wanted to play the guitar since I was probably about three. Um, and, you know, I'm 37, so I'm really taking my time getting getting there. But I think when I tried to do it before, I just didn't enjoy it. Like, I just felt like that immense frustration that I'm sure every musician gets. But, like, you can hear something and you've heard it for so long and you're just like, I just want to be able to make that noise like that noise that that guy there is making, I want to be able to do that. And I, I think I just had this like immense frustration. Like I don't get it. I'm not, I don't understand how this works, but like at the moment, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, you know, pulling up trees, but I can make a recognizable noise with it. And it doesn't feel as mechanical. I'm literally like, I may be like, I'm, I may be just strumming out like three chords. Yeah, like, yeah. They're quite close together. They're easy transitions. It's like, you know, like E minor to G or whatever it is. And I'm really enjoying the process of like, I can just sit there. Like I've got Netflix on in the background, but I've got like the subtitles on and I'm literally just making a noise with a guitar. Like I'm not being constructive about it, particularly. I'm not going through lessons like on a daily basis. I'm not going through like YouTube videos laboriously trying to pick out what to play or whatever else. Yeah. I'm not even playing like a recognizable tune as yet. Like I've I've basically memorized and got used to playing all the chords from Wonderwall because I, I found a printout of it in my guitar bag, yeah. um, which must have been like my last lesson with my old guitar teacher or something. So I can play all of those chords and stuff, and I'm working on like the transitions and stuff. But I haven't tried to play the song. I haven't sat there and like laboriously gone through it because I think that's what frustrated the shit out of me before. I'm just literally enjoying making noise out of it. Well, yeah, and you know, I, I just sorry to cut across you, but um, no, no, do it because I'm just going. <laughs> but you know, as much as you say, like you're just making noise, like that's just simple. Like one of the things that like a lot of like musicians say in interviews, and like you know, they say what was like really important for them to start with is just like playing and learning things by ear. Like developing a good ear is so so important in music. Like I honestly believe that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people can't even read music, but they can write amazing songs because they yeah, can man. Like, like listen, I, they can I play along. Did. So yeah, it's, I actually it's a good start, Jim. It's it's like a good thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I actually did grade eight drums like by ear. Like I couldn't read a fucking thing that was happening in that exam. There's only like four notes on a drum as well. Like, <laughs> it's what I mean. If somebody asked me to teach them drums now, I'd be like, I don't think I could, man. If you actually yeah. put like, a grade one book in front of me, I think I'd really struggle. Uh, it's it's one of them. Like having a good ears, it's for and against. I think having a good ear is. The most important thing, definitely. That I think, I think that above sight, above sight reading because oh, for songwriting for sure, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And having a good ear, you can go into pretty much any circumstance and pick it up quicker because 
Because, yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, because in terms of sight reading, it doesn't, it's not too practical, especially in everyday life within music. Sight reading is really good if you're at a certain level, like if you want to do grades or I don't know, you know, you like on Strictly Come Dancing, that band, they can all read sight music. <laughs> right. like, yeah. For the team. Sure. They learn the piece for the night and they do it. Yeah, in but if somebody, hour, if somebody yeah. asks you to play, I don't know, like a wedding or just go for like a jam session or whatever, like no one's going to have fucking sight music. No, no, no. Thanks, Ali. I think you are carrying that yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. You'll have a set list and maybe like a little little tab, maybe yeah, that's on, your, it. on your iPad that they scroll through sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I did a course at uni, which was about learning English as a, well, learning languages as like a second language kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Um, the theory and practice of language acquisition, I believe it was called. But anyway, um, there were three Japanese students in that class and they'd all learn English at school in Japan to yeah. what you would class on paper, like they had qualifications and, and whatnot, yeah. whatever it was. And they they uh, got to Birmingham to go to university and they were like, I mean, well, I'm going to say this now, like they couldn't understand what was being said to them, which is going to make it sound like... It's not entirely their fault. Yeah, it's, uh, but they also, they found they couldn't speak. Like uh, they couldn't yeah. actually make sense of what... And I was like, well, how... Surely you could say things, but maybe you weren't being understood properly. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. We, we learn like, by rote all this different vocab and stuff. Mm. And that didn't help us formulate a sentence. And I was like, well, no shit, it's not going to. But do you know what I mean? Like that was the level that you kind of... That they were... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly like, the same with music. Exactly the same, right? Because, oh. you know, you if we work under the assumption that music is a language, and I do... You know, when you ask people, you know, how did you learn English? They say like, oh, just watch Netflix with like English subtitles and just, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, watch Netflix in my language and, and you know, uh, with my subtitles and listen to it in English. And that will get you a lot further than copying down rules from a book. So, and it's the exact same thing with music. If you play and you listen mm. and you imitate, that's how we learn language, right? Imitation, Imitation isn't it? Like, yeah. What are so, we yeah. Well, um, we were talking about kind of what we've been doing on our downtime, like specifically, you know, well, James was talking about, how he's going um and like you know yeah. uh like what you've been listening to what you've been doing just like you know Le yeah man like no listening to, back to any records taking up a lot of my time I'll, I'll roll up some records that's been taking up my my ears yeah attention recently um right, cool. i'll be listening to the spanish love songs record that came out last january so pretty much a year ago called brave faces everyone i think that's, i can't believe that's a year like what the hell? yeah that's very good <laughs> flawless uh, i was listening yeah. to the new bright eyes record a lot which oh, yeah. is uh, I've really enjoyed. Um, I was listening to Funeral for a Friend live in 2015, loads recently when they played Hours in Full. Um, Pine Grove put out a record probably like a week ago, which was like, I think it was their like quarantine live album. And it was a lot of their songs reimagined that sound very good. I'd recommend that to anyone, especially you pair. Uh, what else has been taking up my time? I listened to a lot of Lamb of God recently. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really kind of like re really got back into them and really, uh, really enjoying what I've been listening to. That's what's kind of at the, at the forefront of my brain at the minute. Uh, yeah, nice, man. Well, I was listening to you just, I went down a bit of like a Spotify hole the other day because um, I was listening to some Counting Crows and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, put me on like a, a long December radio and just see what. Oh, can... what a year for that as well, yeah, man. That's yeah, like... yeah. Well, I thought, well, we were talking about it and I thought, you know, check that track out again anyway yeah um yeah and there's all the kind of 90s alternative stuff like you know um third eye blind and uh you know all that all that kind of stuff on the radio and then like i got down like a listening to hootie and the blowfish 
Hole, which is like, <laughs> it's like I've never listened to that band in my life. Like I know who they are, but and I was just like, why? Why am I listening to this? But I kind of enjoyed it, you know. But it went from kind of a long December, the depressing, you know, retrospective take, to very happy, clappy mandolin love songs, which was, you know, very interesting. But like, yeah, I yeah, that's it. like a really extreme. <laughs> it is, yeah. And I wondered how are they on the same radio? But then I guess you know, Spotify has its own tags and. What it classes well, as the are they on the same radio? I don't know. It's like yeah. it interlinks though in a, in a way that all kind of it can reflect like a mood balance and a mood swing. That's yeah, kind of same. So. Maybe it's like you're being too depressing as shit now for you. Listen to some hootie and the blowfish to cheat. Yeah, it's, it's probably like, uh, come on, man, turn it around. <laughs> yeah, come on. Put your indicator on. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea that there's some like mental health department that's altering the algorithm. It's like, right, you've had <laughs> 17 hours of Morrissey. You need to have a break. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, <clears throat> just got to throw that in there. While we were kind of, I feel like I've sort of disparaged Spotify and the streaming world by making music more disposable. But I mean, firstly, I would have killed if somebody had told me that that was available when I was a kid, I'd have been just like absolutely mind blown. Agree, yeah. um, but I think the, um, I mean, I'm sure we can all say that we've kind of, well, like you obviously with you, Theo, you were aware of Hootie and the Blowfish, but that's probably like the first time you've listened to them, maybe knowingly or whatever. Right. But I love the idea that you can kind of start off with something that you know and love to death. And you can just start off on a random playlist kind of thing. And you can discover stuff that, you know, from wildly different genres and all that sort of stuff that you'd really enjoy. Um, So I kind of don't remember how this conversation started. Um, This is feeding into what I've been listening to. Um, We had, I had a conversation with Jack who for, you know, listeners sake is my um, nearly nine year old son. And we were talking in the car and we had a conversation about, um, for some reason, Christmas number one, which obviously prompted me to bring up um, Rage Against the Machine, uh, uh, Killing yeah. in the Name. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was there. I was there for that. What I, yeah, I remember sitting at my desk in my rather, um, you know, sort of hateful uh, recruitment job. And me and my manager at the time were like both the metal heads or like the rockers of the, the office kind of thing. The old um, yeah, yeah. And we, we both bought it on our like lunch break to make sure, you know, the 99p on iTunes. Yeah, the 99p yeah. on iTunes. Yeah. I think it's the only thing I own on iTunes because I'm not about that life, but still. <laughs> oh, um, your whole iTunes library is killing it. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> that U2 album that they gave out that nobody wanted <laughs> and killing in the name. It's the worst playlist ever. Um, <laughs> But somehow we ended up, uh, I don't know why it did, but like literally, I don't think any more was said um, because I was driving and I'm a responsible parent. I didn't mess with my phone, even though it's literally like on a little magnet thing. I didn't want to mess around in the middle of traffic and try and play him, killing him the name. Um, So we were sat doing some of his home learning stuff and uh, Spotify automatically opens on his little laptop thing that we've got him to, to do the homework and stuff. And uh, I accidentally said, oh, blah, 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 Rage Against the Machine. And the little Google speaker in the next room picked it up and started playing it on his laptop. So we literally spent about an hour kind of listening to it in the background while we were doing all this other stuff. Now, obviously, as a responsible parent, we have a rule where if he hears a swear word in a song or something, um, he knows not to repeat it. So we have that rule before anybody starts jumping down my throat that I'm playing um, you know, Zach De La Roche's swearing at my eight-year-old child. Um, but nonetheless, he absolutely loved it. 
like, and I'm slowly feeding it in. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, like pin his eyelids back and show him video. That'll just put him off though at the same time. Yeah, exactly. But it's just a little insidious infiltration of bits. Like I know a lot of what I listened to as a kid was due to what my dad listened to. Because my mom was never really, my mom liked music, but she was never really like into it kind of thing. Whereas my dad always had been. Um, Yeah. And I know that freaked him a lot. So I know I've got a big, like, like you're having every facet of parenting, but like I have a big responsibility to not, fill his brain with with trash music which i feel like i'm I'm hopefully not going to do um but yeah so that that's um and i've done a lot of kind of uh so i started off at pop punk and then i've kind of gone i suppose like skipped a decade and then started to do sort of the punk before new wave kind of thing and then going back to like the originals and sort of you know going back to like iggy pop and that kind of thing that was like a whole to me, that's like original punk, like uh, within itself, like the whole anti-society kind of vibe is really thick there. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the uh, like this. This fits with the modern mentality. So, um, as much as the the rationale goes that you get more right wing as you get older, I'm I'm literally at the point of revolution. Like I'm so <laughs> much more left wing now than I ever ever was, and I think living under the auspices of the Trump administration and the Boris omni-shambles. Um, you, you've got no choice but to kind of, if you look at that in any discerning way and think that's a good a, it's a good thing to live under, then I feel deeply sorry for you. Um, but it prompts much more rage-inducing. Like, I'm, I'm trying not to sound like Henry Rollins now, but I'd, also I've been listening to Black Flag a bit as well. So, you know, there is <laughs> oh, that. Black Flag is so good, man. Look, but Rollins, Rollins is like a very extreme example of that, like, he he's like a pissed off guy for a long time, especially on their like, especially their first two records. Uh, he's like a very angry bloke, which is like that's not like a good mentality to have every day. Like living like that, that's that's not that's not an ideal way to wake up in the morning, like day after day, week after week, like fifty two weeks a year. Um, but it does it does personify and like amplify what to me what kind of like what hardcore punk was. Like being that such extreme guy that you take it to that level like all the time, like never ever separating from that like outrage essentially. And I think I think I think yeah, I understand why people achieve that, especially now. If they if they look in the right places and act in certain ways and put their attention in certain like news feeds, yeah, it's gonna people are gonna their blood is gonna boil nonstop. It's like in terms of effectiveness, if you want to actually affect change to fit your ideas and ideals and whatever, then <clears throat> yeah, the the, the 100% perma rage, like heavily emotive thing, isn't going to do you any favors. Um, no, I think yeah. Go on, but sorry. the argument kind of is is that well, do we get that sense anymore? You know, like do do we actually have any real means to affect change? Um, yeah. Yeah, to sum up, I've been listening to quite a bit of punk and stuff. Yeah, I think (laughs) Black Flag is like a really good example, I think, because Black Flag to me, in the 80s, especially the first two records, Damaged and My War, that's really like Rollins being so angry with what he's seeing around him that he himself starts to decay. And I think it's really about his own struggles uh, and about him fighting back and rising above and keeping his head above the water rather than to kind of blend in with the damaged 
and the destruction he's seeing like politically and socially. But I think now, I think now black flag lyrics from Rollins are seen as quite negative, really. Um, just to, although it's although it's expression and it is art, like completely, and it's really good. I think what he's saying is genuinely quite negative in a way, especially in 2020, where like now we have the internet and everybody can have like a voice, even if it's a very small scale. I don't know. Do you agree? What, what this guy's saying in like 1986 now, yeah. does that relate to like a politically frustrated person in 2020? I think it does and it does. It does, but people shouldn't get, people should try and like take on these lyrics in a different manner than get so angry and pissed off. They should try and, you know, fight, yeah, fight for change essentially and a change that can actually happen with the voice everybody has now rather than walking around fuming on the, on the 20 minute bus they take to work. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, like, like you said, like when Rollins is on, you know, that, his kind of lyrics, I mean, if I'm not misremembering, I mean, I'll paraphrase and like very slightly, you know, he's like, he's talking about, I walk down the street, you know, I see someone that I don't like, nobody likes me, I'm going to go smash them in. Like, you know, it's like he's externalizing that like frustration, like, but not even in like a directed way which is interesting because he's just like, you know, like, fuck everyone, like, fuck this. Like, yeah. there doesn't seem to be like any kind of, and I'm sure there was, you know, a uh, kind of direction to it. But when you listen to it, it's like, I know it's it's supposed to sound very raw and very... Um, it, it's not revolutionary, though. It's so ahead right. of its time. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. It's so good. It's, I think it's timeless music. It's really good. Absolutely, yeah. But it, it's it, in the same way, like, if you said that now, people would be like, well, you know, you're kind of being quite reductive with this attitude. You know, it's okay to be angry, but maybe you should yeah. direct it against something. But yeah, I mean, that that would be, you know, yeah, I still I think, think it's relevant. I think that's, what it's, is, that's what it is with Black Flag. It, the rage has no direction in a way. Yeah, yeah. You're just kind of externalising yeah. it to, to everything and everyone, right? But obviously that's not, you know. But the, but the, <laughs> the, the, rage, is, the rage is very relevant and important. Yes, yes. You exactly. to be angry. Yeah. All right, man. So, yeah, we, we talked about how we're doing and stuff and what we've kind of been listening to. Um, so in light of the global pandemic, obviously the music scene's taken a bit of a toll, especially the live music scene, essentially that. So I just wonder what you guys are most looking forward to, uh, you know, when, when all this is over, you know, um, what, what kind of gig are you itching to get at? Is there a bad? I would say, yeah, I would say, because um, life's been so extreme in the fact of like, don't leave the house, you can only go to buy, you know, onions and carrots and, you know, very extreme and milk. Um, I would like to go to a, I'd like to see like an acoustic show, like not some, not some fucking idiot playing like Simon and Garfunkel at the pub. I would like to go watch maybe like I think seeing someone like Frank Turner would be really cool or like Beans on Toast at like um, an acoustic show where the music is actually very listenable and means something <laughs> would be really nice. And I would like to go to like a full a full metal show would be cool like a, like a proper hardcore gig where there's just straight like like face kicks and stage diving. I think it's a go to go to a gig where some extreme aspects of music, whether that's doing nothing and seeing it in its raw format or going to it where it's like blast beats and uh, like breakdowns would be cool. I think, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of contradict what's been happening within a show is my, uh, is my desire once this is finished. Yeah, nice man. Two opposite ends of the spectrum there. I noticed. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy them equally. I would honestly <laughs> enjoy them equally. Yeah. yeah, not Simon and Garfunkel though. No covers, please. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that that's what I put in the suggestion box. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> play, yeah. 
Yeah, you won't want to come down to see me do the best of Paul Simon then. Uh, no, I'd leave. I'd leave. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd get the bus home. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you. I don't think I could play like Paul Simon. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. What about you, Jim? What, what are yeah, you hoping to attend? What, what would be your ideal? If you, if you go to like, you know, one or two shows when this ends, um, what would be the two tickets you would hold in your left hand and your right hand? What would you do? At the risk of like sounding like that guy who sits on a bus in like a dirty Mac, I just want to be around people again. Like I never thought I would say this because <laughs> I, you know, working in in hospitality for you know fifteen years or whatever, I, I'm not supposed to like people, but I've actually missed them quite a bit, which is surprising. Um, yeah. But no, I I want to go to. I'm not. <clears throat> I mean, as much as you have all like the you know the kind of the the razzmatazz and the kind of the big like venue kind of shows um i just want to go to something small like i think yeah. still still my favorite gig was like the, the pre-tour tour that rival sons did where it was like 300 people like in like a, a tiny little boat, upstairs yeah. o2 yeah. um and like me and theo met like 10 people that we'd met at one of the previous gigs and they even recognized us for having gone to one of these gigs like a proper right. community feel like i'm not i'm not disparaging like the bigger music, that seems to be my my agenda today, but it really isn't. Um, like I love going and seeing, you know, um, Alter Bridge and what have you, but um, I like the the kind of the, the non-anonymous situation. So like we've just been yeah. talking before you came on, like we want to go and see your band, want to go and see Hemus's band. I want to go and see, not necessarily, I don't want to have to recognise or know the people that are on stage. That sounds ridiculous. But I just want to do something that's like, a, maybe not go too mad. <laughs> maybe go like one stage over from what we've been doing at the moment, which is basically like living on my own. Um, I go to like a smaller circle and then push out from there. Not for any like anxiety reasons, just because yeah. it feels like the natural progression. This is what I'm saying. It'd be, it'd be nice to go to a show where there's like uh, an intensified version of what's happening on stage, whether that's like a big noise, like metalcore version or like a simple strip down or anything like a local band. It'd be nice to go to, yeah, it's like a two, 300 cap venue in Birmingham and just see that alive and kicking again and stand there with a Carlin or a red stripe. I think that would, uh, I'd be, I'd be so happy to do that, to be honest. Well, even if it's a dude, like a frigging, like a, a tiny, like, 10 watt amp stood in the corner of a pub where half of the pub aren't even paying attention to him like that would do me at this point like I would be yeah. happy with that completely and utterly you know I used to hear some frequencies like crank to the you know a good volume I think yeah just anything like that there is, it, what, about, what not, about you Theo what, well, what, was, would, what would you uh, yeah man what if, gonna if, say, you, if you had a ticket and you could type the name and the venue and the time and place what you know, man, the keyboard's yours in this hypothetical situation. What are you going for? Oh, well, I'm playing the keyboard. Oh. No, man, the fucking, <laughs> you know, the typing, the I'm letters. Joking, I'm joking. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> just messing with you. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say, I mean, what you've been saying, it's not so much the band, it's that vibe, right? It's that thing, that that feeling that you're yeah. like longing for that we're trying to recapture, you know, like the faces and the names can be different, but, you know, the feeling. Yeah, it's that like Friday night, getting the train into town, like beer on the train or whatever, man, just like meeting people, having a few drinks beforehand, then like getting the energy up, going to the gig and then like watching the watching the openers and then the energy goes down. But then the house lights go down and the band comes on that you actually really want to see. And it's just like, it's just so cool. It's like so amazing. And uh, yeah, it's just like a great feeling. And that's that's kind of really what I want to recapture. But 
if you gave me a front row pass to John Mayer's next gig at the O2 in London, I wouldn't say no to that either. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you just want the backstage passes. Oh, on. sorry. I should have said backstage pass. Yeah, that's what I should have yeah, said. Yeah, slip yeah, in yeah. there, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, you know what? Like, like James said, I'd be happy with kind of anything at the moment. But yeah, that definitely that feeling is like something. That yeah, that that'd choose. be a real step when local live music resumes. Like yeah. we say, Glastonbury's already been cancelled, but yeah. I don't know whether I really think maybe like end of summer, September. Um, Hopefully, I mean, I hope earlier. I want earlier, but like local shows and actual like UK gigs will happen. I don't know if I don't know about bands going overseas and stuff. But if UK bands can play in, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, that'd be sick. If that could resume by like June, July, the fact that independent venues have managed to keep going for so long, obviously, like you get, you get like you know, there's a lot of those two venues in the country now, which is just a marketing campaign for like a mobile network. But when you get venues like the Sunflower Lounge, for example, in Birmingham or what, like Cherry Reds or something, um, like the the actual effect of them having to set back up is is a big one. It's a big one. And it's like saying, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Jim. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 there's much more involved. It's not just one element that you're going to have to fund to get this stuff sorted back out. Yeah, I mean, like, we we've said this yeah. already like a million times about how there's this sort of disparity in that there's a massive gap between the very very small venues and the very very big venues in Birmingham there's like this mid-range yeah. situation that, that that we don't seem able to cater for for some reason and the only thing that this yeah, doesn't exist, it doesn't it? Do, yeah no way yeah, it doesn't so, exist at all but this is where like that's going to be an even more stark contrast because the bigger venues like you say are largely propped up by corporate entities which are relatively yeah, but then it's it's the smaller yeah. venues. So we are going to lose that whole kind of undercurrent to, you know, like I was saying earlier, like this whole strata of the pop, like music machine thing that I like to ignore. That's what's going to survive because that's what caters to these mega corporate venue situations. And it's the places like the Sunflower Lounge and Cherry Reds and stuff like that that are going to to struggle. And that, that's what we're going to lose. Like these good bands that we feel aren't, quite achieving their level in terms of fame money whatever it is um they're gonna have nowhere to play and it's the more this goes on for the longer this goes on for it's these venues that are at risk more than anyone else and that's the problem in a city like birmingham it's like the sunflower holds like 200 people and it's like that's very doable really on a friday saturday can be and if everyone pays a tenner to get in especially if it's a band that people like and take interest in um and that's where the financial side comes into because then the venue's making money, the banders, you know, everybody involved. And it keeps the touring circuit alive. It's like, oh, we'll go play the Sunflower in Birmingham. You know, we'll get a good turnout and people are going to pay and it's worth our time to go there. But it's like people will skip out on the Midlands because, you know, you get the O2 Academy, which holds 3,000 people. And the next step up is the NIA, which holds 12,000. And it's like, where's where's the jump? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, like, we noticed when, um, I mean, obviously using the Suns again as an example when they kind of progressed that the much smaller venues into the the sort of bigger ones we like Birmingham were missing out to Nottingham um, like Leicester and Wolverhampton even yeah because um, like the yeah. Civic's got that yeah. mid middling capacity kind of thing but it's like how is the I mean that's this is like a whole issue before Corona even became a thing but like how is a how is a city like Birmingham missing that 
that window, like that whole section, like what's going on there. That calf room, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, this yeah. is where we're missing out on. I mean, it's a it's a different vibe, like Theo was saying earlier. If you're gonna jump on the train or the or the bus or whatever and go into town um on like a Friday yeah. night, you would do that on a whim. Like if somebody said, like, oh my mate's playing in a band or whatever, you're gonna go do that. If it's like, oh, my mate's playing in a band in like Leicester or Nottingham or something, oh, you're gonna be no. like that's a whole other entity. Yeah. That's a that's like a that's an adventure. Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? That's a Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas if there was a cap room in venue that in venue, a cap room and venue in Birmingham that catered for the the middle market or even not the even like the mid bands, I would say, or like that band who are very popular but not hitting the arena level. It's there's a calling. There's a calling. Like you got Brixton Academy in London that holds like five thousand. You have like like the um, the Hammersmith Apollo that holds like nine thousand. That's not arena level. That's a lot of people, but it's not arena level. Whereas in Birmingham we have nothing. It's like it goes from a three thousand cap room to a twelve thousand. There's like quadruple the amount of people there, and it's like where do you have to go to to quadruple your audience in one city? Like you can't. It's that that that's a very grueling task if i'm honest with you that that's some record you have to put out if if the small venues go um because of the lack of you know obviously them having to lock the doors for 12 months where is the interest and where do you draw the line because it's if people don't obviously if 200 people pay a tenner that's not like a, a shitload of money especially when you're paying like a city center rent and bills um it's like, what, how is how are you going to survive? Because they rely on people through the door all the time, places like the Sunflower and Cherry Reds, buying pints, man, all that. Well, that's where the money is. Like, let's be honest, you know, if you're a band and you're on tour and you're a small band, like, realistically, you are not making money. You're, like, paying to do this. Like, you're paying out of your own pocket to, like, go around the country and do this, unless you're signed to a label. Essentially, but then the, lab, the label's yeah. taking a big cut. Exactly, the label, exactly. The label will book the tour, pay for you to record, and I think uh, those days are gone, man, of the label giving you an advance. And yeah, yeah. Like a rock star. Whereas rock stars aren't even a thing, really. It's just money. Like, there's no such thing as rock stars. There's just people. Um, yeah, I think this is the uh, this is why the like the biggest change has come from like yeah. the, the idea of like rock excess and everything else. Like there's m multiple different reasons for, for all that sort of dying off. But yeah. like the, the weird thing is, is if you look at the foundation of say like Guns N' Roses, for example, yeah. they were basically in this like hotbed environment where I think each member of Guns N' Roses appeared in like 17 different bands before they hit upon the right sort what, of in the scene in the scene yeah. like, so like like every week like i think like slash was in like four bands in the space of four <laughs> weeks like if you yeah. don't have these venues i'm not saying that we need like whiskey go go in the middle of birmingham but if you don't have these smaller venues where you get exposed to these different bands and whatever else like what are we missing out on like what has already passed us by like That's what the band thing. has gone like what band would have formulated because of a group of people going yeah, to like yeah yeah because it's having venues like the whiskey go go like the doors played there so many times they were like the house band when it was like a dance room and stuff do you know what i mean it's like um and having stuff like chain reaction in um in the states it's which holds like 200 people 250 it's um and it's about just the local people like us who are interested in music showing up on the random and that's how like a local scene and you come back and you come back and that's how it gets involved and people invest their time and money into it and it can give a band like a huge kickstart and keep the scene alive within a city because the city gets a reputation. Well, that's it. Yeah, life. exactly. I mean, I know, like I, I had this thought the other day that like Birmingham has always been like a secondary 
thought in terms of the national um, musical output. So we've always been secondary to sort of uh, Liverpool, Manchester and, and London. And that, that's fine. That's, you know, but I yeah. mean, is, is that part of the reasoning behind it? That the, there's, there's that level of sort of interaction. I mean, obviously the Cavern Club gets picked out in Liverpool and stuff like that, but you've got like an established scene and there's different venues. It's always yeah, been about, like you mentioned that the ones in London, like the, you know, the Apollo and stuff, they are the quintessential, like the iconic places. And yeah. we just, I mean, you know, like Ronnie Scott's used to be a, you know, a thing. Um, and, you know, like the Yardbird and stuff like that. And, you know, different venues that have all gone by the wayside. Um, but it's not necessarily the, you know, the trials and tribulations of the business and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, times are hard and we pay a lot of taxation on alcohol and whatever yeah, else. I don't think it's anything them. to do with that, though. It's, it's about- all about the scene and, like, nobody will invest in that level. It's like we've seen with the pandemic. It's the first thing that everybody relies on when they're stuck at home in the thing else to do. It's the artistic productions. So it's like, yeah. you know, you rely on your music, your TV, your, your Netflix, whatever it is. But they're the first things that get clamped down on, the first things that go by the wayside when anything like this happens. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. This is like the, this massive dichotomy of you desperately want the product and yet you will not give any lifeblood or support to the to, to the people that drive that and deliver that. Exactly, man. It's like a band from Manchester who play in that local scene and do well, for example. They'll drive to London through Birmingham and not play a show. <laughs> <laughs> and they yeah. might play for 250 people in London and, it, and it'll be full. Which is really good. That's like that's that's sick. Two hundred and fifty people want to show up on a Saturday night like that. They might not even know them. Two thirds of them, but they they will literally drive through our city and not stop to play a show at the Sunflower because of the state of play at the minute. It's like if you look at it now. So if you get a, it seems to be now that bands don't necessarily have a UK tour, but they might have like a European tour instead. And we get three gigs basically. If you know. If they're not, I'm talking like the major sort of triple A. Yeah, yeah. Let's just go with Aerosmith as an example, because I think on recollection, um, they always seem to show up in, um, they go London, Manchester, and then Glasgow or Edinburgh. Yeah. That is it. So obviously Wales, I mean, we're talking about a city that's getting sort of overlooked, but like we're talking about like a whole nation that's, you know, that's been overlooked and stuff. And like, to you know, to a certain extent, Ireland and stuff as well, but... That's what we get, basically. It's London, Manchester, and then that's it. So you get three gigs. And we have and two arenas, man. We have two fucking arenas, whereas Manchester has one. We have the NIA and the NEC. Exactly. Yeah. And this is it. Maybe that's what we're saying, that even when, if that's the market that we're catering for as a city, is these big AAA, like, you know, your Ed Sheeran's and whatever else. Um, mm. But we're not even catching those when they do, like, big European tours. I mean, is it only the domestic artists that are that bothered? Because the international ones certainly don't seem to give a shit. They don't give uh, a fuck like that. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying Stephen Tyler's like, oh, we absolutely need to play in Birmingham. Like, that's not that's not ever going to happen. And I'm not saying that they have any impact on it whatsoever. But we're obviously being overlooked for marketing reasons. Yeah, because I think it's like that's the thing, man. Because if a band's booking a tour or their manager or booking agent is like they're looking at the venues we have here, it's like okay, so we can play the O2 in London. That was like twenty two thousand. We can play the the Manchester Arena, that's like 18,000. And we can play Glasgow, which is what, 15 or something. Then we can play the NEC, which is another 16. It's like, why do we need to worry about the Birmingham dates selling out if we can sell these three shows well in advance and it's no stress to us? 
why do we even need to book this other show and look like uh, it's a, it's it's like a dead gig or like a you know an unhealthy turnout? Like we don't need to do that. I can I can see their vision absolutely. And like uh, yeah, <laughs> not strictly music related, but in terms of live entertainment, maybe it's like a kudos thing because I remember like maybe like seven or eight years ago, I like went to see Jerry Seinfeld uh, do like stand up. Where? Like uh, at the NEC or NAA, what well, I I honestly can't remember. One of the big, okay, yeah. like Birmingham arenas, right? And <laughs> the first thing he said was when he came out on the stage, he was like, "Hi, Birmingham. What am I doing here? I never wanted to come to Birmingham." And I was just like, "We were all laughing, but like, it's true, man. Like, why is he doing a Birmingham show? Like, he's just it like is. wants to go it to London, be. right? He wants to do like Manchester, London, and then like, yeah, carry on." on his European like, tour. Like, to be honest, you know... I was like, like that's actually so true. Like, yeah, I'm like, exactly the same. When, when I was living abroad, yeah, like, like the cities you mentioned, Jim, like, uh, in England specifically, like, London, Liverpool, Manchester, uh, people knew them, you know, but it, when I said I'm from Birmingham, they were like, what? what? <laughs> I thought it was more like a source I'd never heard of or something <laughs> like that. Like, literally, they didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue. It was a word they never knew existed in their life. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly yeah. the. I mean, okay, there's other factors that are going to go into this, not just music. Yeah, yeah, it's not playing. Like Bill Burr, like to use like the comedy example, I went to see Bill Burr um, like a year ago, no, like two years ago now, whatever it was, and he he had much the same sort of story. He had this kind of like he was nearly late to the gig. There was some issue with his train and all this sort of stuff, and like. It was kind of like, I didn't even know where I was going. Like, I barely even heard of it. Like, obviously, yeah. the fact that we get m mistaken for Birmingham, Alabama, like, it's <laughs> yeah. not even... We're like a 12-hour flight away from that place. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's just this, I, I suppose we lack this identity. I mean, you know, yeah. it's not just, you know, you've got, like, the whole... There's never been, like, a proper... Now, don't get me wrong, I know there's, like, a brum... That there has been a brum beat scene, because... You know, we've all been in a certain record shop when that guy comes in and he just won't shut up about it. Um, so I am aware that there was like where we had like the Mersey beat scene and the Beatles and all that sort of stuff. We yeah, did have a Brum beat yeah. version, but it was obviously second rate and not <laughs> not worthy of any consideration. Yeah, it, but it was very strictly underground. Like, we, yeah. like I mean, we, yeah, we, we're the home of metal. Yeah, like, the birth of heavy metal. I was going to say, so, when are we going to get around just, to that because it's. Yes, okay, I'm drawing them in, and I know they weren't strictly brummies as well, but, like, half of Zeppelin uh, are locals kind of thing. And, you know, it's like we do have it, but it's very much not – I don't know whether it's like a Birmingham thing where we don't promote ourselves or what. I don't know what it is. But, okay, yeah, it is from, like, decades and decades ago. We're talking about kind of – so, but that that's that's where we're talking. I mean, if you had to pick out another Birmingham artist, like, who have you got, like, Ocean Colour Scene? Duran Duran. <laughs> I was hoping we were going to avoid that one, but cheers. Um, <laughs> no, man, they're, they're kind of famous from Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I know what you mean, man. It's like you want to avoid it, but who else have we got? You know. <laughs> but is this what we're saying, though? Is this where the link is? Is this the is this the issue? This like this this missing music scene because the venues aren't there. Maybe, man. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's like I, not I, having I a think, very good uh, youth academy. It. I was going to say, maybe it's like not having a very good, like if you like in a football, if you have a good youth system, you get players coming up through that, right? Maybe there's just like no one in Birmingham who like, <laughs> no one wants to play in Birmingham, right? Because they can just, as you know, as you said, they can drive through Birmingham to get to a better venue. And like, so there's no grassroots upward mobility in terms of like a music scene uh, or like a live music scene, I should say. Um, maybe that's part of it, you know? 
Mm. I mean, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's something that we've never really... I mean, obviously, when you start to get gigs as a band, if you're not from there, but if you start to get gigs in London, like, you know that you're... If not made it, then you're on the way. But like, right, random right. people will show up. That's the difference. Random yeah, yeah. people will show up. Just because, like, like, if we lived in London, I'm kind of sure... Well, I'm definitely sure that, like, we would rock up on, like, I don't know, man, like, every third Saturday to, like, a venue because someone was playing and we'd make a night of it and watch yeah. them for 40 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So is it the desire? Is it the desire isn't there or the venues aren't there? Because you kind of need both, right? Like, it's both, kind of a chicken egg situation. I think the desire... Uh, decays because of the lack of venues yeah i think i think i'm gonna gonna steal that steal the line from field of dreams but you build it they will come like that's if you've got the venue there but you can't have people go to something that doesn't exist and i think it would be i I don't think that's it man even like like a saturday from like midnight to four you hire a dj people the venue will be rammed you know the only bands that become relevant in terms of like the music scene for for a certain area are dependent on the size of the venues that you've got. Like you, like there's people that are never going to see bands play live without them getting to the level of being in these massive venues. I think that's really sad. Like, well, I think so, man. Because it's like look at somewhere like Lincoln or Norwich. Like they have the engine shed in Lincoln and like the waterfront and the UEA. In like, uh, and it's like what like the UEA is like the biggest venue in Norwich, yeah, and it holds like two thousand people. And it's like that whole area there of like Lincolnshire, whatever Norwich comes under. East that, Anglia, I think. East yeah. Anglia, yes, that is the place. Like that's that's the cap. That is that is the maximum ceiling they're gonna smash their head on is like a two thousand cap room and they're lucky and they're kind of lucky if people want to rock up there, you know. Whereas I think I think we do have it good in a way here that people will come and play, but I think I think the music scene in Birmingham should be on the cap, should be competing with Manchester, Liverpool, and London, and probably Glasgow maybe as well. Oh yeah, easily, man. Considering the amount of people that are here and the amount of real estate that we have, you know, yeah. and the history as well. You know, there's there's no Beatles, there's no Cavern Club, whatever. But you know, like there's plenty of music history in Birmingham to be going on with. Like, I do think venues being you know unlocked with a certain cap they can hold does play a part yeah whereas like the camden underworld uh, holds like 500 people and that is like a, a historic venue and a real milestone in a band's career if they can sell that out as a small band that 500 people but if you pull 500 people in birmingham you're bigger than that you're meant to be bigger than that at that point do you know what i mean right you're downsizing to play this small gig that's Before it. Before you play the next. You sell the underworld in Camden, yeah. which is five hundred. Like that is that shows there is pace behind you. You're yeah. in third gear, about to go to fourth. But the fact that you're doing it in Birmingham, it's like you've had to drop down to second just to prove a point, almost. That like <laughs> just to do it because. I think that's it. Like like we were saying. Like, I mean, the Suns only appeared at this tiny venue because it was kind of like a, a trialing out of the new tour material. It's a warm up show. It's a warm up yeah, show. That's it. Basically, that's what it is. So you kind of it's either you get to see these bands in, in a in a more compact. Sick as a fan for for that instance. That's really cool. That's nice to see yeah. them in like a, a stripped down um, like low key venue. In, but you're, in, not gonna, in, uh, you're not going to yeah. pick up fun if you if you are playing it kind of like a warm up gig to a level where you, you I'm, I'm like assuming 
you know, you're kind of not phoning it in, but you're at sort of 80% intensity. You're trialing out stuff that isn't tried and tested because that's like the whole point. Yeah, and there's but, 600 people there to do that too. That's exactly. Cool. But like the new people aren't going to come into that and go, they're not going to see like the best that that band has to offer. No way, man. No so way. You kind oh, of, you're appealing to the core loyal fan base there. Exactly. And obviously you need the smaller venues from beforehand to get that fan base, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, it does, yeah, completely, man. So it's yeah. kind of like this negativity for, you know, yeah. for, the, for the more established artists. I definitely get that. That's a definite point. I'm just looking at the time. We should probably um, think about wrapping up now. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're slowly yeah. getting darker as well. <laughs> um, thanks to everybody yeah. for listening. We do appreciate it, and we always appreciate your time and energy uh, being put into this website and everything we do. Yeah, yeah mate. Well, I was going to say, like, any any final final things to say, Rob, before we get out final things to say yeah man i hope everybody stays happy and positive and uses music as a healthy attachment like attachment sorry i've had a few beers uh <laughs> during this uh like yeah i hope everybody can connect to music at a time like this when they should need to and everybody doesn't sink too hard because it will improve sooner than later i guarantee it nice man jim yeah i'm just just yeah, what while it's in this circumstance, just just forget about what other people think or have expectations for and whatever else. Just just do you, like look after yourselves. Like it's it's something that we've all got to get through. Just do it the best way you can. And as long as we come out the other end of it, that's the important thing. But um yeah, like I, I suppose in terms of this, like if our inane rantings in any way have sparked any interest, like don't hesitate to get in touch with things you'd want us to talk about. Um yeah. and yeah, and I hope it wasn't too horrifying. For your, for your ears. For this no, it's good, man. I, I've enjoyed myself. So I just want to, yeah, thank you two guys for, for the chat today. It's been a real productive, real fun time. Um, yeah, yeah anyone you. listening, you can check out Faultline Social for more reviews and uh, opinion paces, things of this kind of nature. Um, we're probably going to have more podcasts in the future with, you know, artists you might want to listen to instead of us three kind of ranting. But, you know, we might do something like this again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, um, yeah, we'll see you again soon.